Welcome to the Dog Trainers Podcast. A podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is season three of the Dog Trainers Podcast. Mariano Alvarez here with Brent Labrada. We're so excited to have you guys. And we've got some really cool new stuff coming for season three and the year 2024. So for those of you who know, who have been following us, which we appreciate and we love you guys so much, thank you. We make content primarily for up-and-coming dog trainers, and that means the content's usually a little longer and a little more detailed. That being said, this season, we are going to start something totally new. We're still going to make the content that you guys know and love, interviews with trainers, really deep dives into topics, as well as, though, something super new. We're going to be making content that's shorter and a little more streamlined because it's going to be designed for dog owners. It's something we're super excited to add to our repertoire. And for the owners out there and the new listeners, we welcome you and we really appreciate and love your feedback. This is a new avenue for us. So please, as you listen to episodes that are geared toward owners, do us a favor, reach out to us on Instagram or on Gmail and let us know what you thought, if there's something we should include next time, if there's a topic you'd like to discuss. But on top of that, you guys, This year, 2024, we've got some really cool new events coming your way, and we'll tell you guys all about it as we hammer down details. So for now, since things are still kind of up in the air for dates and all that good stuff, we'll leave it at that. Just know that we're really excited. There's some cool stuff coming down the pike, so be sure to stay tuned on Instagram and on Facebook and all that good stuff. And with that, over to you, Brent. What's up, everybody? It is Season 3, Episode 1. Happy 2024, as Mariano said. So today is going to be one of our very, very first client-owner episodes, and as dog trainers, one of the very, very first concepts that we are commissioned to fix is how people, uh, helping people walk their dogs a lot better, right? Now, you know, after working with thousands of clients over the many, many years that we've been dog trainers, uh, it's so interesting to see kind of just this mixture of walking philosophies, right? Like a long time ago, it was, it was common knowledge, like a good dog owner walks their dogs, which I agree, you know, a good dog owner should spend time with their dog, walk their dog. Um, you know, go outside of the house with their dog and kind of give them some enrichment. But through that process, we've seen a lot of misconceptions, right? We've seen people getting their arms pulled out of their sockets in the name of enrichment, right? We've seen their dogs uh, get get dropped, you know, dropped to the floor by their dog in the name of socialization, saying hi to dogs across the street, or a dog walking on a harness that's 150 pounds because, you know. Uh, that's what they were wearing when they were a puppy. <laughs> and, and so we see all these different things. We also see the opposite side of the spectrum. We see people who are trying to get a four to three month old puppy healing perfectly at their hip, right? Because that's what they used to do with their German shepherd, uh, you know, 30 years ago, right? So you see all these different types of walks. You see people who like, uh, you know, they let their dogs hunt everything on the walks. You see people who let their dogs mark everything on walks. And I guess this is just kind of to lay, to, to lay this perspective. There are different personalities out there and there's different types of structures and people have different relationships with structures. Um, and you know, it's like there's different strokes for different folks. And I think this is what causes some of the problems that we have. What do you think, Mariana? Yeah, totally. I think I think to say that people have different relationships with structure is very well put. And I'll give you just a brief example. So when I was in the Air Force, especially in the beginning, basic training, tech school, and all that stuff, you find that people who are not used to this level of structure and accountability have really different ideas about it. I was one of those people that was like, man, this is kind of annoying. Like, why am I held back for someone else's mistake? I felt like least common denominator type thing, right? Whereas I would meet a surprising amount of people who really loved it and really 
appreciated it. And I couldn't understand that. But the more I spoke to them, they would tell me things like, well, listen, you know, before I joined, I was just home. I was just kind of aimlessly wandering. I would drink all day and I just wasn't getting anywhere in life. And I felt like unfulfilled, like I knew something needed to be different. And they appreciate the level of order and structure. And, 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 and I understand that. So to sum it up, we find that people have really different feelings toward structure and accountability. And because of that, people find different iterations of it, right? Because it's not this or that, it's which blend works for you. And we also find that clients tend to take that blend and apply it to their dogs. Because if you feel that this is the best way to do it, why wouldn't you want the best for your dog, right? And so what we want to talk about is how are some ways that we can kind of help you figure out which blend of things would be the best for you and your dog when walking? Yeah, and then the bottom line is this blend that we're going to be talking about, it really just depends on your dog and your situation. Um, and what our objective here is, especially for dog owners, is to educate you just kind of on the broad spectrum of criteria that exists out there. And this way, maybe it'll help you kind of come up with an expectation so that when you hire a dog trainer, because we can't necessarily train you uh, via podcast, um, but it, when you hire a dog trainer, see if these people can get you what you're, what you're expecting and what you want, right? Um, we will also talk about the pros and cons of different styles of walking. Um, so there are certain ex- different expectations. You know, if I have a highly predatory dog or if I have a uh, overreactive dog or a hyper-defensive dog, there are different nuances there that we'll jump into. But um, let's get started, okay? Let's first kind of just break down what the, I guess what I would say, three categories of walking would be, okay? Number one, I don't even call this a category. This is just doing things wrong, okay? If your dog is dragging you down the street, zipping left and right, in essence, in definition, if your dog is speeding the walk up, slowing the walk down, and not paying attention to you, this is not the healthiest version of a walk, Okay, and here's my personal opinion why. Okay, I love my dogs. I'm hyper, hyper protective of my dogs. But one of the conditions, if I'm going to take my dog out in public, is I need my dog to at least check in with me when I ask them to, right? Um, Because I'm a huge believer that if I'm supposed to keep something safe, if I have zero influence over that thing, then then I can't keep them safe, right? So think of it like. If the president doesn't listen to the Secret Service, the Secret Service can't keep the president safe. Make sense? And so I love my dogs. I want them to be so safe all the time. So I have to have some level of expectation. Now, when people let their dogs drag them, you know, I I have empathy. I have compassion for it. Sometimes, most of the time, it's because I don't know how to make them not drag me. And that's fair. And that's why you guys will be looking for dog training. But other times, some people actually think their dogs enjoy it, right? They think their dogs enjoy pulling at the end of the leash and sniffing and zigging and zagging. And they might like some of the sniffing and the exploration and stuff like that. But I don't think any animal would like having, getting choked on their collar or getting restrained on their harness too much, you know? Um, Actually, one thing that we know in dog training is that if a dog is on a harness constantly being restrained, you actually increase intensity Uh, and the motivation to pull, right? So you can actually teach your dogs to be better at pulling by letting them pull more, right? Um, And so what this tends to do, this style of walking, in my opinion, it, it teaches dogs to be more obsessed with the environment than actually with their handler, right? And 
if you live in a safe neighborhood with not a lot of crazy things happening, you might be able to get away with this, right? In essence, I, I feel it's people trying to simulate the dog being off leash while still having a leash on the dog, right? And, and I think that's the motivation there because I think in our minds, we think of like a natural dog is supposed to be free and they're supposed to be, you know, roaming the countryside and being able to run and hunt and all those things. But try doing that like in the middle of a big city. It's not really the healthiest thing for that dog. It's not very well adaptive for that, right? So first level of walking is the dog is completely out of control. You have zero control. Your dog likes the environment more than you. And the bottom line is your dog is speeding the walk up, slowing the walk down, dictating the pace and direction, and your dog will not engage with you. Okay, so if that is your dog, this episode is for you. (laughs) (laughs) You need help. This episode is for you. All right, so now let's go into the two forms of structured walks. Okay, so easy way that we can break this down, two forms of structured walk. On one side of the spectrum, we have the loose leash walk. Okay, now loose leash walk is actually kind of the opposite of the getting dragged down the street walk, right? Your dog is not allowed to speed the walk up, slow the walk down, uh, dictate the pace or speed, and the dog needs to pay attention to you, right? So what we're doing is we're just adding a little bit of criteria for the dog to understand that, all right, we're going to be free. You have freedom with limitations, right? You cannot pull at the end of this six-foot leash. You cannot drag me, um, and you can only do what is within our vicinity, Okay, so that's a loose leash walk. Now, sometimes people might do this loose leash walk on a flexi leash. I would recommend only do that loose leash walk on a flexi leash if the environment allows you to, right? So don't do it on a sidewalk where the dog could get tangled up on trees or mailboxes. Uh, But if you're in a nice open field, keep going. Keep going, right? You can totally allow the dog to explore on on a flexi leash as long as you have a wide enough environment, right? So this is loose leash walk. Now, what I like to do on loose leash walks... I like to control my criteria, so no speeding up, no slowing down, and you need to pay attention, right? By occasionally asking the dog to come to me, and by occasionally rewarding the dog for checking in, right? Now, if my dog starts pulling, I'm going to limit pulling, right? So loose leash walking is first form of structured walk. I would say every other style of walk is rooted in how good your loose leash walk is. Okay. Then the other extreme side of the spectrum is the healing, right? And this is where your dog is expected to heal at your hip, at your heel, and stay and migrate next to you, right? Now, I would kind of say there's two different distinctions of heel. Um, When we see kind of the competitive engaged heel, we see a, a dog whose head is tilted up looking up at their dog owners, right? Or their handlers. And then you just see migration in heel position, right? Where this is more like your Caesar Milan pack walkie style of walk, right? Where the dog is just walking next to you and he's staying in heel position. He's at your side, but he's not super like engaged, focused on you, but the dog knows where you are in, in relation to him, right? So these are the different types of walks. We have our drag you down the street walk. We have our loose leash walk, and then we have our heel. Totally. A really cool distinction, I think, from the like, competition-style heel versus the more just migrating-type heel is a very active heel or a very passive heel. And mm-hmm. I think that those things can foster different feelings in the dog, right? And it's fun to practice both, of course, 
But just, you know, in my mind, that's how I would delineate. Like I see a dog healing a competition that's so intense and so fixated and focused and that's super active, right? Mm -hmm. And then I see the purpose. Like if you watch training videos of people who practice the more like Caesar-esque type of heal, the words that they use are always like calm, fo- you know, relaxed and focused mm-hmm. and so on. So it's kind of like active, passive is a really cool way to look at it, right? And when we talk about these different forms of walking, loose leash walking versus healing, we start to look at very common misconceptions or problems among dog owners or, or our clients. And those could look like this. We meet someone for the first time. They get dragged down the street by their dog because they don't know what reasonable limitations are or how to implement them. And so we start teaching them, this is how you free walk, this is how you heal. But the other big problem that we see is some people have either like watched content online before or worked with another trainer in the past, you know, or so on. And they've understood more or less how to heal and they get the position, but they miss the part where you don't do it all the time. So there are lots of people out there who heal their dogs like the entirety of the walk and they hardly get to sniff and potty and so on and my opinion on that is it's invaluable it cannot be overstated the value of giving your dog opportunity to sniff and to socialize with the environment around them because this is largely how dogs orient themselves Mm -hmm. right this is how they kind of engage with things and feel comfortable where they are so uh, you know, something I strive for now, this is me personally, okay, with owners who need to practice with their dogs, this will be different, okay, disclaimer, for my dogs, I like to heal about 10 to 15% of my walk, that's like a fun little kind of metric for me. And I tell clients who come to me all the time, it's not arbitrary, it's not like this 10% is better than that, like the beginning or the end or whatever. Because I know people come to us for like simple tips, right? So I like to tell people, here's when I heal my dog, when we first come across a dog when we're crossing the street, if we're, you know, if dogs are going to be barking next to the fence that I'm passing, stuff like that. Whenever my dog is in a position that's highly enticing or highly distracting or maybe a little dangerous, I'm going to heal past that thing so that my dog's right next to me and has a level of focus on me. Beyond that, I let them sniff and do their thing. Yeah, and and I think it, it always depends on dog to dog and also the, the, the ability of handler, right? Like sometimes... You know, if you have a dog, well, I guess let's talk about the pros and cons of the different walking styles, right? Um, when we talk about healing, right, we'll, we'll work our way from the top and work our way down in criteria, right? Healing is one of those things that it becomes really, really popular in dog training because it is literally the opposite of what dogs naturally want to do, right? Like, look, I can get my dog to do this thing where they walk next to me and they stare at me. How cool is that? Which it is really, really cool, and it is a really, really necessary skill. But I kind of liken it to uh, other skills that parents teach their kids to have them under control, right? So, like when a mom tells their kid, like, like, honey, come over here, let me hold my hand, right? When you ask a child to come and hold your hand, you're actually trying to trying to gain enough control and proximity with that kid to protect them from any danger any distractions that they might not be able to handle, crowds of people, uh, because pretty much if the dog is close to you, you can keep them safer, right? And I think that's a really, really important way of looking at heel, right? So when I teach heel, I want to teach a very strict heel, but I don't need to heel for longer than 30, 45 seconds, right? However long it takes me to get past said crowd um, or across the street or whatever it might be, right? So 
healing has this stay next to me, you know, uh, I'll, I'll protect you. You're safe here, right here next to me, uh, kind of, kind of concept. And because the criteria is so high where the dog has to walk next to you and pay attention, it, it actually gives the dog a different focal point, right? And so when we're healing or reason a lot of dog trainers like to teach healing is because if I can change the dog's focus, I can change the dog's emotional state. Right. So if I have a dog who's hyper predatory or hyper defensive, who's looking across the street, trying to lunge and fight all these other dogs or people across the street, if I can teach that dog walk at my side under obedience control and pay attention to me and there might be something awesome in it for you. If I can change that dog's focus, I can actually get that dog to calm down. Right. So the same way with people where they say, well, your thoughts affect your emotions. Well, with dogs, their focus affects their emotion. Right. So if you can change what they're focusing on, you're technically changing what they're thinking about. Right. And then therefore they're feeling. So you see a lot of people when they're especially in behavior modification type stuff, they put a lot of emphasis on healing um, as a form of kind of managing the dog's aggression. Right. And in that scenario, I think I think healing has a wonderful, wonderful utility. Right. So if you're working with a dog trainer and they're asking you to do that, they're on the right track. However, if your dog is not that type of dog, where they're lunging and barking and all this other stuff, um, you can loosen criteria up. Definitely. I think you, I think you can get away with loosening up how long you heal that dog, um, you know, uh, and how much you can allow the dog to free walk. Any comments on healing, Mariano? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, I agree with what you said. I would say when you have a dog, that's, you know, defensive or very domineering or, you know, it's a simple way that I like to look at it. And I like to say this to clients is when your dog takes that focus of theirs in the free walk and applies it in such a way that it ends up being a negative to the dog, Mm -hmm. then it behooves us to save them from themselves. So here's an example. Here's a human example, I guess. If I'm walking around with a friend, I'm not going to dictate what you look at. I don't care. But if you're going to sit there and fixate on like a negative text, I'm going to try to not let you fixate on that negative text because Mm -hmm. why would I just sit there and passively allow you to stress yourself out? Mm -hmm. And it's really similar with dogs. If I have a dog that curiously, very happily, like a little puppy, I've got, you know, little lab puppies here right now. They just look at everything and they're so excited and I'm like, I don't see why not, right? But if I had a dog on the total opposite end of that spectrum, very defensive, very insecure, don't look at me because I get pressured just by your eye contact across the street, mm-hmm. then I would typically limit their focus on that and have them focus on me more for their comfort, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even a matter of this dog pulling. It's just like, dude, stop stressing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at the heel. And when we talk about free walking, right, or loose leash walking, free walking with rules applied. Mm-hmm. And mind you guys, just if you're not familiar with terminology, the free walk and the loose leash walk are similar, or they're very similar. I would just say loose leash walk, the dog is on a traditional six-foot leash. A free walk, your dog could be on a flexi, have 10, 15 feet long, you know, like longer than a six-foot leash, pretty much. Yeah, exactly, right? So let's say loose leash walking on a six-foot leash, because that's what most people will be doing in Mm -hmm. a city, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Free walking, people say, for like the park and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when you're loose leash walking, like Brent said, the criteria is lower. You don't have to be right next to me, which means the dog can give me less of their focused attention because they don't have to like manage their positioning next to mine. But there are still certain limitations to what they're diving into, right? I want you to sniff. I want you to potty. I want you to have your fun. I want you to do your thing. 
but pay enough attention that you can stay within my six-foot bubble, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the loose leash comes in, right? And if I find that I'm loose leash walking with a dog and they, like here's a really common one that owners run into. How long should I let my dog sniff before I like stop them or should I stop them or, you know, and so on. And I tell people when it comes to my dogs, I'll, I'll limit it in the sense of me traveling. Like if I'm walking and my dog's six feet in front of me and they stop to sniff a bush and I keep walking at the same speed, by the time I get to the end and now you're behind me, I'll, I'll pep you up so we can go, right? The only other time that I might limit something like that once again, just like the healing, is to spare my dog from obsessing over things in a negative way. So for example, lots of people with high drive dogs, like little spaniels and stuff like that, they've had that thing, or like a beagle, where you're walking around the city, my dog sniffs this bush, that bush, this bush, that bush, and then sniffs a bush that had like a cat in it earlier. And now the dog is like obsessively diving halfway into the (laughs) bush and sniffing like a psycho, right? If my dog starts to do that, then I'll disallow them from continuing to sniff that bush just to help them settle. I don't want my dog to develop these like crazy obsessive behaviors. So reasonable limitations in order to spare your dog stress, that's where I like to set those boundaries for loose leash walking and for healing. Hell yeah. No, 100%. I think that's a, that's a great that's a great breakdown of loose leash walking. I think in um, one of the things with loose leash walking that I like, you know, because I, I used to be of the mindset of, you know, only healing dogs, right? I think at some point, mm-hmm. some most dog trainers were. Mm-hmm. Right? I did the, too, yeah. Yeah, and um, the concept of the loose leash walk, it, it some people think it's harder to maintain loose leash walk than healing. They think healing is simple. It's walk at my side. It's In their mind, it's one criteria where they're just like, yeah, just tell my dog to walk to the side. And so you see a lot of bad practices. You see people like wrap their leash really, really short around their arm and they just keep their dog on a super short leash. And one thing that I've learned in dog training is the way that you teach a dog to walk next to you is actually by teaching them they can't leave you first, right? Like like if you have a dog who's constantly pulling, if you stop the pulling, guess what the default is? The dog walking next to you or around you at least, right? And so um, what I feel is loose leash walking is, is like this, the criteria of don't pull me, um, don't speed it up, don't slow slow my walk down. Those simple criteria lay the foundation for future healing and future engagement and future relationship building with your dog. Uh, so it's kind of like a good compromise, right? You can't freely explore, you know, 30 feet away from me, but I'll let you explore six feet around me and, uh, and, and, and we're going to cooperate with each other when it comes to this, right? So I think that's really, really cool. Um, and I think starting with loose leash walk, you will always get a better heal, because what, what, what I used to experience was when I would teach heel first and I would only teach heel, guess what happened when I would release my dog? He'd pull me. <laughs> you know what I mean? He'd want to be like, bye, see you later. You know, and he, the dog wouldn't want to be around me because they were under so much constriction uh, or restriction from, from exploring that they didn't even want to be next to me, right? The other thing I like to use loose leash walking for is I use it as a, as a gateway or the beginning of a loop, Right. So I will allow my dog to be free so that in training, I can teach the dog to come back to me. Right. So if my dog is always next to me, I can never teach him to come back to me. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like to allow my dog to be in front and especially with puppies, let them sniff, 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 explore, explore, explore. And occasionally tell my dog to come back. Come here, boy. Give him a treat. Okay. Now go back. Right. And I teach this 
reeling the dog in and casting the dog out and reeling the dog in and casting the dog out. And I'm developing, especially with puppies, I like to develop this as just a normal conversation. Hey, I need you real quick. Okay, see you later. Bye. And the dog can go back. And when I develop, when I develop this, when dogs are really, really young or early on in training, dogs never become scared of coming to me, right? They're never worried about closing, stop what they're doing, closing the gap because they know I'm going to let them go right back to doing the thing. Right now, if I can get my dog from a free walk or from a loose leash walk, from sniffing that tree, come on, Rover, come here. And they come to me and they sit for a cookie and then I release them. Well, all I have to do is after the sit, now I can teach them to walk in a heel, right? So if my dog is giving me engagement naturally, I can just throw that dog into a heel and now I can practice healing for 10 to 15 seconds and then let my dog go back, right? Because my future goal is... In walking, I want to be able to turn healing on and turn healing off, mm -hmm. right? And most of the time we need to heal is because it's going to, usually going to be around high levels of distraction. So if I don't practice regularly on walks, the transition from free walk to heal, it won't work when there's distractions, right? And so as a trainer, what I want to do is, you know, I want to teach my clients the transition or like to get their dog to come to them during a free walk. Then I'm going to teach them how to transition that dog into a heel. Then I'm going to teach them to develop duration in that heel. And then I'm going to teach them to practice that sequence around higher and higher level distractions as the dog is developing and getting older or just going along in their training. Make sense? Yeah. Or, yeah. Until you get to a level of distraction that emulates the real world around them. Right. Yeah. I did a post yesterday on our Instagram that was like, look, everybody's, everybody's uh, situation, everybody's neighborhood is different. So I would, I would have you practice to whatever level of distraction or temptation you need for your dog, right? If yeah. you live in a less distracting area, oh, cool, right? Then there's no need necessarily to overdo it and overstress it. Yep. Uh, something cool that you brought up right now was, I noticed this. So tell me if you noticed this too. Like back in the day when, when we were very different dog trainers yep. and we would start with like formal healing, I would find two different problems. Either the dog doesn't know how to not heal, so they, they pull immediately when they're released from the heel. Mm-hmm. Or the dog's afraid like to leave loose, the heel. He doesn't know how to loose leash walk. Yeah, how to loose leash walk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the dog's afraid to leave you now, right? So you're like, okay, go, go. And the dog's like, nope, I'm staying yep, right here. Yep, yep, right? Yeah, so, so just so, reiterate, say that whole thing again, because I interrupted you the first time. So well, it's just check this out, okay? So, and, and mind you guys, owners, listen to this. This is something we learned not to do, okay? We're talking the history of training. This is not what you should do. The downside of starting with too structured of a heel as opposed to teaching your dog how to walk loosely and freely on a leash, because that's the point of walking your dog, right? Just to commute around town, is dogs tend to struggle learning how to loose leash walk if you start with healing. Meaning, they either don't know how to loose leash walk as soon as you release them from the heel. Okay, they're straight to pulling because they never learned the middle ground. It's just zero or 100, right? Mm -hmm. Or dogs are afraid to leave your heel and you're like okay go and they're like nope i'm, I'm not going. i'm gonna stay right here yeah you leave pop me last time i'm not going anywhere right and it's unfortunate because what you can do with that like really understand how how negative that can be i just stifled this dog's willingness to engage with the environment mm -hmm. which we talked about in the beginning it's absolutely critical it's 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 so necessary for proper healthy social development mm -hmm. i I set this tone with this dog where they don't want to be social in a sense. Mm -hmm. That's really something you do not want to do. And so I completely agree and I train in a similar way where we start with free walking 
Because it also teaches owners, in my mind at least, um, a healthy, realistic way of looking at training, right? Mm -hmm. Like something I notice a lot with people is it's really easy to like overvalue commands. Mm -hmm. Like people will come in and they're like, yeah, my dog pulls. I'd really like to learn how to heal. And I'm like, or you, you know, you just really like to learn how to walk with your dog, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and they're like, but their initial assumption is like, no, my dog jumps. I really need place. No, my dog like pulls. I really need heal. And they value yeah. command, command, command. Yeah. And so it's a helpful way to help owners look at things of like, well, what you actually want is to peacefully walk around with your dog, right? Healing yeah. or no healing, right? Yep. What you really want is your dog to learn what reasonable boundaries are when guests come into the house, right? Place or no place, right? right. And so you can kind of separate. Like, listen, I love commands. I like I train them all the time. We're trainers. But there's there's a point to which they're valuable and there's a point to which they're maybe unnecessary and hindering. And again, that varies from dog to dog, right? So when you start by teaching owners how to just loose leash walk, you teach them kind of the ethos of the walk. I want my dog to do their thing. And then you can have a more natural progression of like, oh, well, wait a minute. There's a dog over there. What do I do? Aha. So now let's start limiting a little bit until we pass this dog, right? And then go back to it, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing that you said about the quick conversation thing. Hey, come here real quick. I need your attention. All right, that's it. Thanks. See you later. Mm -hmm. That's also, I think, a really healthy way to look at it because the way that I like in people who overvalue commands is like if you've ever spoken to like your child or your younger sibling or something like that and it's too formal and it freaks them out. Like imagine coming home and then talking to like to your wife or husband or whatever and being like, hey, um, what are you doing at five? I have something really serious I need to talk to you about. And there's this like, oh shit, what did I, what happened, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's possible to like <clears throat> overemphasize the formality mm -hmm. of commands. And then it mm -hmm. gives it this weird tinge of like, is something wrong or, you know, are we cool? Yeah. Versus like, oh, hey, can I borrow you for two seconds? And it, it's just a little easier and a little more lighthearted in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we want to always try and avoid friction and, and avoid conflict as much as possible, right? Like, right. Yeah, training without conflict. What's up, Ivan? Anyway. <laughs> Ivan, yeah. be on the podcast. Yeah, be on the podcast. Um, Ivan Balabin. I always fuck it up. <laughs> Ivan, be on the podcast. Go ahead. Ivan Balabin. <laughs> Anyways, he has a hard last name. Can you say his last name so I don't Balabanov. Balabanov. That's how you say it. Uh, he's a, a really amazing dog trainer. Um, but anyways, going back to it. Um, damn it, I lost what I was talking about. What were we talking about right now? <laughs> Listen, look, the, the point being, I know we're putting a fine point on this, you guys, but take this as what it's meant for, which is lessons from dog trainers who have learned from their mistakes. It's not about being overly formal with the healing in the beginning. It's about teaching your dog how to effectively navigate a neighborhood. That's what leash walking was even for. Mm -hmm. Healing is just when you need that extra bit of structure. Yes. If you overdo it, you can stifle your dog's willingness to engage. Or if you overdo it, you can also stifle your dog's ability to make good decisions because mm -hmm. they just kind of like, they just kind of lean on you for all their decision making when they're unsure. Mm -hmm. And both of these things are things that you do not want. The healthy way to work on it is teach dogs how to healthily engage with the environment. It's kind of this concept of like failing safely. Shout out to our good friend, uh, Blake Rodriguez. And when they come across something that's maybe a little too challenging, a little too distracting, that's when you give more input, kind of mm -hmm. like a parent. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And <clears throat> you just said it's like getting them to uh, having them getting them to health in a healthy way, engage with the environment. And then the heel is teaching the dog a healthy way of engaging with you. Right. So it's like free walk and heal and free walk and heal. And I think that the big thing as dog trainers is we should be motivated to to give you tools to allow you to parent in the way that you see fit. 
right? And I think our goal here is not to tell you one is better than the other. I would say do both, teach mm -hmm. both, right? Mm -hmm. Find a trainer that can help you develop both, right? Because when you have the on and off switch of attention, focus, engagement, all that stuff, you get to choose, right? Like everyone wants to enrich their dog's lives. So you should be responsible for keep enriching your dog's life, but also being able to keep them safe. 100%. Right? 100%. Yeah. So I think that was, uh, I think that's it for this episode. That was short, man. I'm used to these like two hour. Oh, actually, I know, but that's, that's just because you and I blab a lot. But well, yeah, there's, no, there's, I, I love But there's one more thing I want to talk about because we mentioned um, flexi leashes earlier, ah. right? Um, in retractable leashes, flexi leashes, uh, I've grown to love them over the last like five years of my, my career right now. I used to be told to hate flexi leashes and I'll explain why we used to hate flexi leashes. Okay. We used to hate flexi leashes because typically, you know, the, the stereotype would be there'd be some little shih tzus or Maltese's on their harnesses at the end of some flexi leashes, zigzagging and pulling their owner down the street, barking and lunging at everything, right? And the problem is, is, you know, the, the flexi leash is, a, is an attempt to give our dogs liberty, like to give them more freedom, to give them a free walk, right? The problem is if you have no control over your dog and your dog doesn't know how to behave, your dog could be kind of dangerous or put themselves in compromising situations and socially or, or with another dog, it couldn't it would turn out not too good, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where kind of this stigma of like retractable leashes were are crap, right? I like retractable leashes, but only with training protocols, right? So I walk my dogs on retractable leashes. So once on a six foot leash, my dog knows how to loose leash walk and knows how to heal. Then I'll put my dog on a retractable leash and I'll do the same thing at a park or on a mm -hmm. hiking trail, right? So places with little wider spaces, I will let my dog now, instead of having six feet, I'll let him have 15 to 20 to 30 feet of freedom. And then I will still call the dog back, get them to heal occasionally because I want to now teach them that same expectation that we taught on six feet, but we want to teach them at longer distances now. And what I like to call this, this is all pre-off-leash work, right? Like in a perfect world, as long as your environment allows it, I would love to have enough trust in my dog that I could trust them off-leash. And I would love to have enough communication skill with my dog that I could let them roam on the hiking trail and then I could call them back and get them into heel position, right? Now, not every dog is trustworthy off a leash without training, um, but you will all of this type of work where you will teach them to be free, teach them to come, teach them to check in. These are kind of the three main components, right? Like I need my dog to just be able to focus, stay, and stop. And if I can do that on a leash and off of a leash, I have a pretty well-behaved dog. Totally. Now, let me just say this. You can disagree if you want to, but since we're talking to clients and owners here, some dogs should not be trust off a leash even with training. Let us be clear from True. the get. True. There are some dogs that are highly predatory. There are some dogs that have reactivity stuff going on for whatever the potential reasons are. Don't automatically work toward off leash. That's another thing I see lots of owners do is like, oh yeah, I'd love to be able to eventually this. And it's like, that's cool. Like it's a, it's a great goal to aim for. Mm -hmm. And off leash technique and control as Brent's saying, you can totally simulate like with a flexi because a really fun way to do that is my dog's on a flexi, they're out there, and I have to get my dog to recall to me without using my leash. Like I can't engage the clutch, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the dog's attached to a leash if I really needed to stop them, right? Right. So just, just so we're clear on that, some dogs should not be off leash. 
And when you're in the city, even if your dog's super sweet, etc., please keep your dog on a leash because the next person's dog may not be super friendly or, you know, or weird things happen, right? So, I, sorry, I, I just wanted to give that little no, disclaimer. That's, but- no, that's really important. I think that's important because, uh, and this is, again, we give you the tools. Your job is to use your discretion and, and be a responsible dog owner, right? Totally. Um, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. So, this is our new format. This is uh, for dog owners. Um, and if you guys are listening to this, even the dog trainers, if you guys are listening to this, give us some notes. We'd love to kind of refine this. Like our, our intention was to to develop a form of content that not only helps dog trainers explain things, but also helps owners understand things so that when they meet dog trainers, they know exactly what to what to ask or right, or certain expectations that they can have. So um, this is the end of our season three, episode one. Uh, very first client owner episode, how to walk your dogs philosophies. Um, and leave some comments, guys. Please like us, share, comment, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. Follow us on our YouTube channel. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys for season three, episode two, very, very soon. We appreciate you guys for listening. And welcome back to Dog Trainers Podcast. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode and can't wait to be back with you guys. Be sure to follow us at Dog Trainers Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to punch the hell out of that subscribe button and leave us a review. Remember guys, this is your podcast. You're the best listeners in the world and we'll see you next time.